Well, it's a pleasure to be here today. I just just reminded you know this this isn't where this isn't my homeland. We're actually um, I'm Curtis. I'm from uh, America originally, but I'm serving as a missionary in Cambodia. So, uh, some of you are some new faces today, so I thought I should reintroduce myself. I've been serving in Cambodia for the last 10 years with my wife, Bree. We serve at an NGO called Water of Life and also at the church, Calvary Chapel, Phnom Penh. But again, it's, it's, it's such a pleasure being here with all you saints, all from different areas of the world, but we're gathered together here, all together, to serve the Lord, to worship Him, serve Him as King. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So um, anyways, let's um, we're going to continue our study through the book of Matthew. I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard Version. Let's open up our Bibles there. You know, it's so encouraging hearing all the prayer requests and the praise reports, knowing that we're all doing ministry in different ways, different areas in, in, in life, you know, from, from working in Burma, working with the Thai nationals, working in our family lives. It's we're all serving the King Jesus. It's amazing. And that's, that's the, the message today. It's titled Serving King Jesus. And um, we're catapulting off of uh, last week when we saw um, Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on, on their mission, on the first mission. So they had been traveling with Jesus for some time now. And Jesus said, it's time for you guys to go out. So last week we looked at Jesus sending them on their mission to prepare the way for the Messiah, King Jesus, and they were to declare, to preach, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is similar to John the Baptist preparing the way for the Messiah. And we saw that they were now called apostles. So we see before they're, they're students, they're disciples, and here Jesus calls them, I mean, uh, Matthew calls them apostles, being sent out on a mission. And they're instructed to perform similar miracles, as Jesus did, and are preaching about the kingdom of heaven, just like Jesus was doing with them. So we saw that the disciples become King Jesus' ambassadors or messengers to the house of Israel. This is before the Great Commission, of course, so their ministry is specifically for the house of Israel, for the Jew. With the Great Commission, we see that Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit, and that is when the mission expands to the entire world. First the Jew, then the Gentile. In the, uh, in the disciples, uh, in the verses we looked at last week, we saw that uh, Jesus' instructions to his disciples on this mission. But this week, we're going to look at what the disciples are expect from this mission and what the cost they will pay. And, of course, also the reward for their faithfulness. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 42. A little bit more of a lengthy um, uh, text today, but I think we'll be able to get through it just fine. Let's uh, read it all together, and then we'll dive right into it. Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour for what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. 
and children will rise up against his, against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. You join me in prayer. Lord, we're just so thankful for another day, Lord, that we gather in your house, Lord, worship you as the king you are, as our God, above all, with all authority, all power, and you love us, Lord. You care for us. You've chosen us to be your people, Lord, to be your children. It's only grace. We don't deserve any of this, Lord. We are clothed with your righteousness. And Lord, as we look at your word today, Lord God, we pray that you speak, that your Holy Spirit pours out, Lord, and we hear from you. I'm humbled, Lord, that we're in this room, knowing that there's more than two and three here. That means that you're here with us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord. We pray that you speak to us today. Come before us today, Lord. We love you. Praise on your son, Jesus' name. Amen. So, serving the king, what does it look like for the disciples? We saw that, again, we saw the instructions that he, was, that he gave his disciples um, and last week. But now we're going to see what's before them. We see in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. What does that mean? <laughs> well, we see that he's sending them out against, amidst wolves. This is where he's sending him out. Wolves are more fierce than sheep, obviously. We know this. It's an easy analogy. Wolves seek to destroy. 
So we're off to a rough start here. Jesus is telling them that the road is difficult ahead. This is true about our Christian life. You know, if you're, if, if you're a new Christian, you, you probably already know, but if you're, you're a seasoned Christian, you know this all too well, that the Christian life's not easy. Many think, and even some will falsely preach, that becoming a Christian, that means everything's easy. All your problems are going to go away, and you will, leave an e- you will live an easy and, and wealthy life. You hear that from the wealth, you know, health and wealth gospel that people preach. This is far from the truth. And nothing that we see that it's, it's not derived from the scripture at all. We see that the road is narrow. The road is rough. Many potholes or wolves. They're seeking to slaughter. But when we become a Christian, we are free from sin. And we have peace with God. The Lord gives us peace with him. Not peace with the earth, but peace with him. And that's more valuable than silver or gold or a huge bank account, security, security guards, that everything that the world tells us is, is success. Peace with God is more valuable than all in that. And that's what we're going to see Jesus' exhortation to his, his disciples. So how are the disciples supposed to conduct themselves on this road filled with wolves? Well, it says you're to be innocent as, dove, as doves and shrewd as serpents. So what exactly does this mean? So we see actually in Romans, if you want to flip over to Romans real quick. Romans chapter 16, verse 19. Paul says something very similarly, echoing the tradition of Jesus here. He says, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. In verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So, They're called to be people with discernment, discerning, but not to conduct themselves as the wolves, but to understand that there are wolves there. There's people wanting your destruction. There's people that want Jesus to fail and for his people not to succeed, but we are not to act like them. We're supposed to be as innocent as doves. And that's very hard. That's very hard because we see, we want to, we want to use that, that, that phrase, fight fire with fire. You ever heard that phrase? Fight fire with fire. And we're supposed to be aware of the wolves and their fire. But we're not supposed to be acting like that. We're not supposed to fight them with unrighteousness, with wickedness. We're supposed to fight them with love. As Jesus says, turn the other cheek. I mean, we can just go over all the quotes of Jesus that talks about how to deal with wickedness and wicked people. We are to be aware of them, but we're not to fight like them. That's contrary to our flesh. We're supposed to be dead to our flesh. It's not easy. You see in Romans when Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. Talking about that struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And so many times we're, we're working in the field. We're sowing. We're preaching the word. And there's, there, the enemy is coming in all, sort, all different forms. And we want to fight them just like they're fighting us. But that's our flesh talking. We need, to, we need to be as innocent as doves. Be wise in what is good, is what, uh, as, as what Paul puts it. I think that's uh, easier, easier for to under, us to understand. 
Verse 17 and 18 says, But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake and a testimony, and as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Well, on this report, as we know that the, the disciples go out, we, we see this recorded in the Gospels. This doesn't happen. At least the, the disciples don't report this action happening. This is what we see in the Great Commission. We see in, the, in, in the, the book of Acts, we see in church history, all this transpiring. And Jesus is preparing them for the future when he is going to be away. But they will be with the, the Holy Spirit will be with them. He will not leave them alone. So they're going to scourge them in the synagogues. And uh, they're going to be brought before kings and governors. Why is this? It's for Christ's sake. Verse 19 says, but when they hand you over. Do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now we see, they said, don't worry what to say. Okay, and this, this is, again, we talked about like the preparedness of, of the missionary, the preparedness of the Christian. And it says here, don't worry what to say. The disciples were given, were to be given their defense to these rulers from the Holy Spirit. So what are we supposed to take to this, from this? This is not a proof text for pastors to forego, forego sermon preparations. It's not, it's not for the, the worship team to come up and say, oh, I don't know we're going to play today. Let's just let the Holy Spirit lead. That's, that's not what's being spoken about here. This is Jesus Christ trying to, to, to teach his, his disciples that we are supposed to be leaning on the Holy Spirit. Because we see that in Peter, Peter tells us to be ready in and out of season for the defense of the gospel. We're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be ready to defend. But this passage is just simply instructing the disciples to trust in the Holy Spirit. The disciples weren't men of great education or status. And so this, this call to go before kings and governors and the synagogue leaders and rulers had to be very scary for them. Had to be discouraging. Oh, no, I can't. I can't do that. Wait, you want me to go alone, Jesus? You're not, you're the king. You're, you're going to come with me, right? No, you're going to be sent out. You're going to be my ambassadors. And so this could cause them to shrink. But Jesus frees them from that responsibility of, of education and what the world expects from, to, to be able to talk to these rulers and these, these high leaders, highly educated people. It says it's going to come from the Holy Spirit. But these men have been with Jesus. They're going to be with Jesus throughout his whole ministry over three years. He's, they're, they're with the best teacher of all. They don't need, they don't need a degree from, you know, such and such college, from, you know, this Bible college or this seminary or, or this law school to be able to talk to the king. No, they've been with God. They've been with the Son of Man this whole time. So that's what's preparing them. It reminds me of the story of, of Moses and you see his insecurity. And Moses was educated. He was educated in, in the Egyptian system, which was the, 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 high, the highest education that you can get in the world, in the ancient world. And he still said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do it on my own. And so he begged, begged for, for Aaron. He begged for Aaron. And the Lord, Lord told him, said, you, you know that you, you keep complaining that you don't have you know, loose, loose lips. Your tongue is, is slow, but I'm the one that made it. It's my words that I'm putting in your mouth. It's my words. And same thing here with the disciples. 
Similar for us too. Again, I'm not saying let's just let's go in blind and not and not um, ready to defend our faith in in and out of season. But when we do, when we are faced with rulers, when we're faced with children, when we're faced with our peers, our coworkers, our boss, it's not us speaking; it's the Holy Spirit, and we need to be faithful to that. And we need to be bold in that, knowing that it's not our responsibility to save people. It's our responsibility to be faithful. And that's what, what, that's what Jesus is asking of his disciples in this, in this verse. Verse 21 to 22, we see, Brother will betray brother to death. Oh, now this is getting even more rough, Jesus. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated uh, by all because of my name, but is the one who has endured to the end that will be saved. And again, we talked about this last week about how Judas did not. He did not endure to the end. People will hate Christians because of Christ. That's hard. We love to be loved. (laughs) I enjoy to be loved. I, I would assume everyone here, if I asked you to raise your hand, do you want people to like you? Everyone would raise their hand. Yes, I want to be liked. I want to be loved. I want people to care about me. But Jesus says the Christian will be hated because of Christ. So if you're loved by the world, you might want to check on your walk with the Lord. That's not saying you can't be a likable person, a loving, gentle, kind person. No, that's not what it's saying. But the message that comes forth from us, from our actions Living like Christ, what would Jesus do? If we're living and imitating Christ, we will be hated by the world. But it's not because of us. It's because the gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. We will, we'll expand about that a little bit more as we go through this chapter. But, um, we see again at the very end here it says, the Christian, the Christian who endures to the end will be saved. And this is, Unlike Judas, as we, as we mentioned before. So we need to be faithful to his word. Be faithful to his word. Verse 23 says, But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. Jesus wants us to be scared. Does he want us to not be bold? I thought we want to be bold in Christ. It says, But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So why? Why are we, why were they supposed to be fleeing from city to city in this, in this context? Well, it's application from the first verse that we talked about, about being shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. They're wanting, the enemy is wanting to destroy the coming of the king, the Messiah to the Jewish people. And Jesus is telling them, you know, when there's opposition, there's so many people that need to hear. The lost house of Israel, they need to hear from you. Move on. Be wise. Don't let, don't let them come upon you. And then, you know, all of the disciples end up being martyred. So this is not, not, not saying that they, they never stood their ground and, and proclaimed the gospel. No, this, this specifically is talking to them. As you're going for the house of Israel, be wise. There's, there's, there's wolves amongst you. Move from city to city. Because you're not going to make it all the way through the house of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now, what does this mean? Je- Jesus hasn't come back yet, has he? We're like sitting here like, whoa, Jesus is already here? Where, where is he? You know, this, this verse is best understood talking about the, the, the coming judgment of the Son of Man, Jesus, 
in AD 70 when the temple, the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed by the Romans. So that's, that's how, how, uh, this, this verse is understood. It's not talking about the sun coming back for the second coming and the rain on the earth, but talking about that coming judgment on the house of Israel in Jerusalem. As we move on to this next section, it's the meaning of discipleship. I kept that, that title from, <laughs> it's in my Bible, but I, I thought it, it really encapsulated these next coming verses. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master, until verse 28. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear, whispered in your ear, proclaim it upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but you are un- unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So we see Jesus exhorts his disciples to act like their teacher and master. Who is their, who's their teacher? Who's their master? Of course, we know this. Jesus. That's their purpose as they embark on this mission to be like Jesus and to accurately represent the king. Now, do we do that in our life? That's my challenge to you. That's the purpose of discipleship. That's the mission that we, that we are to do. We are to be his ambassadors. We need to accurately represent the king. Now, if the ambassador of, of the U.S. or Germany or whatever country that you can think of didn't act like the prime minister or president or king, they would be fired immediately. They would have not endured to the end. We are called to be like Christ, to be like his son. To be like, uh, like, like Jesus. So in doing so, they're going to face persecution, the disciples. So are we. But they're not to be afraid because Jesus is Lord of all. So despite them coming to governors, to kings, to, to the, the synagogue leaders who they feared, they're not to fear because they're coming in the name of Jesus. And he is Lord of all. Both body and soul. So they might be able to destroy their body, but God is able to destroy our both body and soul. And this is encouraging for us that our soul is not just encapsulated in our body. When we die, it's not us going into the ground. We have the hope and the resurrection, and we will be with the Lord in heaven. And that's an amazing hope to be able to hold on to and to understand, to stand on that hope that our body is not connected to our soul. But who has power over the both body and soul? That's God. So people might have power to destroy, to destroy your body, but that's not the one to be revered. Don't fear that. Fear the Lord. Thus proclaim the gospel with boldness. Paul says to be, that he was unashamed of the gospel. And we should feel the same way. Why should we be ashamed of the truth? We should not be ashamed of what is true. Sometimes, I mean, I remember as a young Christian, it's scary to share the gospel. And your friends, maybe the people that you know, they don't believe. And you don't want to be that weird kid. You don't want to be that weird guy or, or gal. But that's we're not to be ashamed. Not to be ashamed because we, we have the truth. We have the medicine. It's the, the, the famous analogy. If you had the, the cure to cancer, you know, but everyone was rejecting it, would you just hide it in your pocket for yourself? 
Or would you be proclaiming it on the housetops, screaming it on the rooftops? This is the cure. The gospel is the truth. But people don't always like to hear the truth. They don't. Verse 29 to 31, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very heads of your head, very hairs of your head, are all numbered. So do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. Our value as children of God is much greater than the sparrows. This is, this is something that's an encouragement to us all. He loves us and knows everything about us. That's our identity. Our identity is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. These days it's important to remember that, especially for our youth, to remind our youth that our identity is not found in anything other than Christ. If we match our identity to anything of this world, we're going to be found ourselves in sorrow and destruction. Our identity is in Christ, in Christ alone. And so we need to be vigilant and diligent to be able to teach our, our, our youth and our young ones to know that our identity is found in Christ. You know, I see that it says that, you know, that God's care for us. He's talking about the value, Jesus is talking about the value that we have to him as our identity in him. And he says that, what is in verse, uh, verse 29, but the sparrows, the Lord knows about the sparrows that are going to fall. The very heads of your head are all numbered. You know, we think about the people that we love and that we care about. And we know so many things about them. I think about my wife and my daughter. I know all their preferences. I know, I know what, they like to, what they like to eat, you know, the way they like to dress, what TV shows they like to, to watch, what hobbies they have, you know. And the same for them. They, they, they know everything about me. And, you know, my, my wife breathes just like Jesus. She knows how many hairs are on top of my head. Real easy for some people to know, to, to care about me that much. <laughs> but of course, I don't know how many hairs are on, on my wife's head or on my daughter's head. And I love them so much. I feel like there's no one else in the world that can love my family like I do. But Jesus does. God cares about them more. And that's humbling. You know, I take pride in, in love of my family, but God loves them more. They're just rented out to me. God loves us so much that he cares. Verse 32 to 39. We're coming to the end here. We see it says in verse 32, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. This is, this is something that's great, right? We want we wanted the Lord to confess our name in front of the Father when we're, we're in front of the great white throne. And he says, yes, I know. I know Curtis. I know Christian. I want him to be able to recognize me. So what are we supposed to do? says, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That's a scary verse. Don't think that I, can, I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That seems like a strange verse. It doesn't seem like the Jesus that is usually um, portrayed. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. This is from, uh, he's quoting from Micah 7, 6. This seems counter to what Jesus, Jesus is about unity. He's about peace. We just talked about how Jesus brings peace for us to God. 
He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So we see the public confession of faith is essential to our Christian faith. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. You can't be a closeted Christian. Your life as a Christian should shout to the world that you're a child of God. And you should be like Paul, unashamed of the gospel. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me, what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that there, when, I, when I say that there's no such thing as a secret Christian. And, question, and you might question and say, what about the Christians and countries where it's illegal to be a Christian? No, restricted countries, that's not what we're talking about here. They understand more than we do the weight, the cost of discipleship that we see from verse 35 to 39. They understand it oh so intimately. And maybe you, maybe you today understand it. Maybe that you, you know in your family it's caused strife. It's caused division. Maybe you've walked away from a particular religion that your family held. Or you walked away from certain traditions and beliefs that your family has always held for the, na- for the sake of Jesus and for the truth. The cost of discipleship is, is, is high. It's nothing, to, be, it's nothing to, to bat an eye on. In verse 34, when Jesus says, whoever uh, uh, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, again, this seems like a strange verse when it hits your ear. You go, wait a second. Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's one of his names. Prince of Peace. He's loving. So why would he say he didn't come for peace but a sword? First of all, Jesus did come to bring peace but to his people and God. He didn't come to bring peace to the, world, to, the, to the earth. Wickedness will be destroyed. It's true that he brought peace between man and God because he accomplished that on the hill of Calvary. But the gospel is offensive and dividing. The very message to repent, that's, div- that's confrontational. Try it. Try walking out. Going, going to the, to the square, forget what you call it, you know, the, the, where the gates are, where all the downtown is, and tell when people are acting, acting a fool and acting in sin, tell them to repent. See what happens. It's confrontational. It's divisive. It's rough. This is the cost of discipleship. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. The darkness hates the light. Why? Because the light reveals their sins and they love their sins and they want to keep their sins hidden from judgment. The light shines on them. We're supposed to be salt and light to the earth. We're representatives of Jesus, remember? And so when we shine that light, we tell them to repent. That's where the hatred comes from. It's nothing of us. It's the gospel. It's the truth. But it's the only thing that will reconcile them with God. And so it's loving. So we're not to go and to go Bible thumping and smacking people over the head, but in gentleness and love, we are called to tell them to repent. But there's no such thing as a non-confrontational sharing of the word. There's no uh, um, um, evangelist that's non-confrontational. If you're non-confrontational, you're not preaching the gospel. We're called to tell people to repent because the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. And we're members of that kingdom, and they can be members as well. But the truth hurts. A drug addict doesn't want to be told his lifestyle leads to destruction. Either, either does the fornicator or anyone who's given to any type of sin. They don't want to be told that they're doing anything wrong. They don't want to be told their lifestyle is wrong. They want to be loved and accepted and tolerated. But God doesn't tolerate sin. Me and my flesh, I could tolerate people's sin. I want other people to tolerate my sin. We can tolerate their sin. That's, that's our flesh. God doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate my sin. He doesn't. He died for it. That's convicting. Because it, it might be easier to tell other people to change their ways. But when you, when you turn the message on yourself to repent and you start to think about the things in your own life, it's hard. It's difficult. But we need to be refined by the fire. We, we need to be sanctified by his blood. We've got to remember to speak the truth. And what's the truth? Jesus. Simple as that. We don't need to get complicated. Just as we talked about last week, we don't need to get complicated. Jesus is the, the way, the one way, the truth, the one truth, the life, the one life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except by him. That's what we need, that's what we need to be preaching. Amen? So to finish up here, Verse 44 to 42, he who receives uh, you receives me. He's talking to the disciples. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? The Father, right? He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. So it's easy for us to look at the disciples and the prophets and say, Oh yeah, you know, I want to serve them. You know, I want to receive the righteous man's reward. You know? And sometimes we elevate people and think they're the righteous ones. You know? You see the pastor, you see the missionary, you see the, the worship leader, you see the evangelist. Oh, that's, that's the righteous one. I want to serve him. I want to do everything I can for him. And we forget about just the little ones. You know, we forget about the little disciples that we have in our own lives. Just a cup of water. That's so insignificant. I'm sure you've heard this preached before. You've read this before in your, your devotions. But it's so true to our lives. You know, living in places that are not your own is difficult. I think many of you, like myself, are not from Chiang Mai. Probably some here are, some listening are here from Chiang Mai, but many aren't. Many aren't even from, from this continent, from the other side of the world. It's difficult living in places that are uncomfortable. And so just the little tasks can be so difficult and struggle and frustrating. You see so much need around you. You want to help everywhere. You feel overwhelmed by it. But Jesus says, just even the simplest tasks have meaning, and you will receive your reward for that. And so we need to be encouraged by that. So many, so many things, some, sometimes just going to the store is so difficult. Just driving around town is so difficult to be able to get to this outreach or get to this person's house and to be able to share the word with this person. But just that small task alone is counting as your reward in heaven. And we need to remember that today, and that should, be, that should serve as an encouragement to us. 
But we need to do it all to the glory of God, not to ourselves. Not so we can tell everyone, oh, look at how I'm surviving in this, this foreign land. Or look at how I'm surviving in, in the Christian life, you know, and, 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 and boasting about how, how amazing we are and how we give. We're so generous to give to everyone we can. So kind. That sounds so arrogant when, we say, when you say it out loud. I'm such a kind person. I'm so humble. We're to do it for the glory of the Lord. It's for him to get the glory because he's the king. Remember to read the word this week, knowing that what is true is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. It's my favorite verse. It's the verse in, um, at the Bible school that I, that I run in, uh, in uh, Cambodia. It's their key verse. Let's flip there real quick. We'll end with this. All scripture is inspired, or theonostos, means breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, adequate, equipped for every good work. We're to be equipped. How are we going to equip ourselves this week? Let's look to the word, knowing the power that it is, knowing that it's not just man written, that it's the anastas. It's, it's breathed out by God, that God moved men to write this and speak to our lives. So just, just in reflection of what we, we looked at today, so some things that we can apply to our lives. I have four, four points. The first one was to remember to be wise and discerning, but innocent in what is evil. The second one is trust the Holy Spirit and prepare yourself through the Word of God. The third one is live for Christ and not this world. Remember, we belong to the heavenly kingdom and not this earthly kingdom. The last one, be unashamed of the gospel, despite who it may offend. Proclaim the truth. Okay. You join with me in prayer. Lord God, we just are thankful again to be able to gather in your presence, worship you, Lord. Worship you in song, Lord. Worship you as, as we read the Bible and learn from you, Lord. We want to be like your son. We want to be good ambassadors. We want to be faithful to the truth. Lord God, prepare us this week. Lord, give us the desire and passion for your word, knowing that it's from you, that it's adequate to, be, to equip us as saints for every good work, everything in our life, Lord. Give us that desire. Give us that passion. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel, knowing that the gospel is the truth, no matter what, who, it, who it offends, Lord. No matter if we think we're losing our life, Lord, we know that we're gaining life in Jesus. Lord, help us to stand firm in that gospel. Stand in grace, knowing that nothing is of us, Lord, but all the glory goes to you, serving the King Jesus. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen.